Amen, and good morning to you, church. Are you glad to be here this morning? Thanks, Jim. Jim's glad to be here. Anybody else glad? Boy, I tell you, it's been quite a week. We had a wonderful Easter service. Um, thank you all that came, and, and thank you all that served. And then uh, we kind of wrapped up our upward season the, the Sunday prior to that. So it's been a long run of a, a lot of events geared towards our visitors and guests. And we have filled this place for the past couple of Sundays. Wasn't it good to see lots of people here? Isn't that cool? Amen. Amen. It's good. And if you are one of those, um, maybe you don't normally come or you're a guest or a visitor this morning. I met a few. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we, just, we just believe this. We believe that this is a church made up of God's people to display God's love and that as he transforms us, then we can live out in the world and transform the world. And we're glad that you're here to be part of that this morning. Now, turning your Bibles to Psalm 23. 23rd Psalm, and we're going to continue in our series, The Shepherd and the Sheep. And this was kind of a part two. Uh, We were there in verse four, and uh, we kind of got interrupted by that little thing called Easter. And so it's been two weeks since we've looked at this together. But um, just, just to remind you where we left off, verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters in verse two. And in verse 3, we looked at the fact that he restores our soul and that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then we looked at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is it that we can fear no evil as we face these circumstances in life that look like the valley of the shadow of death? He says why. For you are with me. That's the reason we shall not fear. If he is with us, we will not fear. And then, now, what I want you to notice is the tie-in to the focal passage we've been looking at. For you are with me, that is, you, God, are with me, your presence with me, and that implies the following. Therefore, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see that? We don't fear evil. We don't need to fear evil in this world. Why? Because the presence of God, specifically, church, Got to see this. Specifically, the presence of God ushers into our lives, brings to application in our lives the rod and the staff. And those are two aspects of his presence that give us comfort. It says, for they comfort me. Now, last week we looked at this concept of the rod, and we saw that the rod represents uh, the, the power and the authority of God. You remember? So just... But we're going to blow through these very fast. Represents the power and the authority of God. And the power and authority of God through his word. Okay, so the, the, the rod is representative of God's power and authority. It's in the right hand, God's right hand authority. And so shepherds would traditionally carry this in their right hand. And that represents God's word. And it comes in three ways. God's will. His word represents his will. God's correction. And then you remember in correction we saw that we have to remember that we're sheep, right? And that there's a follow through to keep following him through. And make sure that we stay under the rod, under the word of God daily. And then finally, God's protection comes through his word as well. And you remember Jesus himself showed how God's word combats lies when he resisted Satan's temptation. God's word combats temptation. And God's word combats fear itself. So those are three things that the word of God. Now, that's the rod. But we noticed, we pointed out and and saw that it isn't just the rod. The shepherd has tools of the trade. 
And by looking at tools of the trade, just like any other trade, we get some idea about the specifics of that trade when we look at the tools. If we were to look at a skill saw or a drill or a hammer or a trowel or, you know, plumber's equipment, electrical gear, those, those pieces of equipment would give us some idea about the trade that that craftsman practices. Are you with me? Right? Is that true? You, you can tell a lot because those tools were developed and evolved to help be very proficient, to be very effective in that trade. The very same thing is true with the trade of shepherding. The shepherds have created tools to help them in their trade. The rod is the first tool, and the staff is the second one. And the staff, whereas the the rod represents the power and authority of God, the staff represents the compassion and the care of God. The rod is carried out through his word, but the staff is carried out through his spirit. His compassion and care is carried out through his very spirit. So you see, the presence of God shows up in our lives. Folks, this is all review. So everybody just relax. We're getting to it. The word of God and the spirit of God are the tools that he uses as a shepherd to exert his authority in our life and his compassion in our life. You see it? And they're, they're both equally important. They're both of God. Now let's look at this verse. I will fear no evil in verse 4, for you are with me, your rod, and here it is, mark this, your staff, they comfort me. The staff, the compassion and care of God. Now, this represents sort of the compassionate side, the personal side, the intimate, the closeness. When you think of a shepherd being very tender with his sheep, think of the little, the little cute, cuddly lamb And they're so innocent and pure. And when the shepherd interacts with his lamb, that tenderness is most often shown in his staff. You know, the staff will will use, they'll use it different ways. They can can use the crook of the staff to to hook the sheep and pull him in close. And we're going to talk about that. He uses the staff for, uh, for helping to guide them and nurture them along the way and gather them together. And those are the things that we're going to look at today. But it's, I want you to know, first off, that the staff or his spirit is a wonderful picture of his intimate, close, personal presence in our lives. It's the part that connects with you personally on a heart level, that knows you, that understands you, and it brings comfort. Now, um, okay, you're in verse 4. You mark the word staff. Now I want you to mark the word comfort. Because that's really what we're going to focus on today, his comfort. And the word for comfort there is really console, or it's from the same root word as, as compassion itself in the original language. So it's a, it's a very consolable, notice that these are times, oftentimes, of walking through the, the valley of the shadow of darkness, the, the difficult times, the seasons that are, that are tough, that cause us to need compassion, to need the care from God. But let's make some distinction here. Very important point. We're going to build a little theology right here together. Okay? There is a huge difference, church, between being comforted and being comfortable. There is a huge difference. Now, in, in just the word itself, you say, well, there's not much different. But in principle, when it comes to the Spirit of God the staff of God comforting us, bringing us comfort, there's a huge difference. We are never in this life to seek to be comfortable. Did you know that? 
It, listen, if you're set out, if the goal of your life, if, 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 the, if the, the, the parameters of how you live and how you make choices and where you spend time and resources, if all those are governed by a desire to be comfortable, listen, listen, this is what's going to happen. You're going to miss God. You're going to miss the comfort of God. It's not, our life is not designed to be lived so that we're comfortable. Look at Jesus' life. Was Jesus' life comfortable? Very rarely. His entire ministry, even to the last point of death. And then he passed on to his disciples. He said, by the way, if it's been like this for me, disciples, guess what? You better expect it as well. That's the kind of life that we live. It's not a comfortable life. Everywhere God leads us, there will be times of discomfort. There will be seasons where it will be uncomfortable, and it will be because we followed God there, we will be obedient to God, following his will, staying close to him, being led right into something that's very uncomfortable. You see? So if, you, if you're making decisions based on what's comfortable, you're going to miss God. You're going to be one of those sheep that, that, that drift off and wander. But not to worry, not to worry. He has a staff, and he draws us close with his staff. Now, we're not to seek to be comfortable, but, but listen, let me encourage you a little bit. Because that's kind of rough, isn't it? Go to lunch today, and what'd you learn at church today? Not supposed to be comfortable. Oh, that's fun. Let's go back again next Sunday and hear. I mean, that's. But listen, we are always to be seeking for his comfort. We are always right at the cusp of receiving his comfort. Not a comfortable life, but in an uncomfortable life, in discomfort, God extends to us his very spirit for the purpose of bringing comfort to us. You see, it's a little bit of a play on words, but, but there's a huge difference. So we're looking at this comfort concept, and there, there are basically three uses for the staff, his spirit that brings comfort. And I want you to turn to Psalm 86, and we're going to look at three separate ones and then, then we'll close and have a time of invitation and, and have a ch- chance for all of us to respond to God. You with me? How are you feeling this morning, church? Good? Thanks, James. Man. Look, at, there's, besides Julie, there's very rarely somebody on the front row here. I don't know why you guys are afraid or something, but my man's always up here, right here encouraging me. So if you want a good handshake and to get spit on and all that stuff, come right up and sit in the front row. Now, wherever you are, Let's look at God's word together. We're in Psalm 86. I want to show you something really tricky here. Really important. Hey, Lonnie, come on up. How are you? Did you want a handshake too? You felt left out, didn't you? Poor guy. Bless his heart. He needed some comfort. So we look in the word together. Good for you. See? Leading by example right here. Somehow I think you were, uh, your motives weren't entirely pure there. But that's okay. I'll take it. All right. Psalm 86 Let's see how the comfort of God comes in personal care for the individual sheep. The staff is used for personal care, you individually, to care for you. Now, Psalm 86 is, and we're going to look at the long run, but, but here, I want to show you so we don't miss his comfort here. Let's start in verse 6 and just read a good portion here. Read with me. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day, here it is, of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. The psalmist is talking about discomfort here, isn't he? A day of trouble. Among the gods there are none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made 
shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Okay, hold on right there. We're going to do a little expository teaching here. Stop right there. Verses 8 through 10. Mark them. Give us the thrust and purpose of this passage. The main point is right here. That there is no other God like God. He says that. There are no works like his. The psalmist is making reference to the fact that God reveals himself as unequaled among creation. And that his name, watch this, God's name, who he is, his character, is glorified, is, is made known. You know that's the purpose of God? You know that's what creation really is all about? God is in the business, even as a shepherd shepherding his sheep, of making his great name known. That the rest of the world and all of creation knows how awesome God is. Knows how unsearchable his ways are. Knows the great vastness of his love and the depth of his grace and his mercy. And, and the stability of his righteousness. You understand that? God wants the world to see that and to know that. That forms the foundation of this passage. We're going to talk about receiving personal care. But you've got to see this. It comes on the foundation of God glorifying his name. Everybody say God glorifying his name. That's good. The third of you, they got it. One more time. Let's say, God glorifying his name. Okay. That's what it's about. Now, let's keep reading. So then he turns back to himself. God, you glorify your name. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore. He's talking about me personally. For great is, watch this, your mercy toward me. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Darkness and hell. Keep reading verse 14. Oh God, the proud have risen against me. And a mob of violent men have sought my life. And have, set, have not set you before them. Okay, time out. Let's take a look here. So far the psalmist is saying, hey listen, this whole business, Lord, is about you glorifying your name. Now, teach me to be part of that. Teach me your ways, Lord. How, how do I walk in your ways to glorify your name? And, and then the psalmist says, as I'm learning to walk with you and glorify your name in my life, something happens. I find that there is resistance. I find that by following you in your ways, it brings me to conflict. It brings me, in this case, the, the rest of the world or those that are of the world, the proud, they have risen against me. Guys, listen to me. Every single time you and I choose to walk with God and walk for God to the glory of his name, you're going to find resistance in the world. But, but not to fear. God still wants to use you and your walk to glorify his name. You see, you see it? Even in the resistance, and he points it out here. Now, when I begin to walk with, in God's ways, there are people in my life who don't like God's ways, and they push against that. The ways of the world resist when I tend to walk with God. When I tend to be gracious and kind and loving, what does the world do to me? Squash me like a bug. So there's this tension. This, we walk against the ways of the world. We walk in contrast when we're sheep being led by the shepherd. Okay? You see in it? But, verse 15. So when this conflict comes, look at verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, 
long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. When does the psalmist know personally that God, this God, the Father, the Shepherd, is full of compassion? Is a God that is long-suffering and patient and gracious and abundant in mercy? When does he learn that? When he's walking with God in God's ways and finds resistance, opposition, hey, discomfort, difficulty in life. Gotta see this, gotta see this. Don't miss it. Because, guys, we don't want to be sloppy Bible students. We don't want to just hit the highlights and the buzzwords and say, oh, God's all good and everything's good. And, but that's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm good, but you need to walk here to know that I'm good. You see it? You need to live your life for me. And when you live your life for me, glorifying my name for my purposes, you will be in discomfort, and that's the time where you will know me as a compassionate God, where I will comfort you. You see it? If we keep reading, after verse 15, it says, Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant, and save your son of your maidservant. Now watch this. Why? Why do I need that strength, that personal strength? Comfort and care that comes in a time of great need. Why do I need it? Look at verse 17. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Did you you put all that together? Look at what he's saying, church. If you choose in this world to say God's purpose is to glorify his name and my life is to be a venue, a chosen, selected place for God to reveal his glory to the rest of the world. So I'm going to live that way. And you begin to live that way. Just plan on it, okay? It's going to lead you to a place where you're going to need to be comforted. Do you see it? Following God leads us to a place where we need to be comforted. What does that imply? It means there's going to be uncomfortable scenarios where God is saying, follow me here. This is where I'll glorify my name. And it's going to cause you to be uncomfortable. And you're going to have to turn to God and say, but God, this is not good. I need something from you because I can't do this on my own. And that's the time. That's the time, church. Hey, that's the time where God comforts. Where the Holy Spirit raises up and strengthens. Let me put it this way. The Holy Spirit isn't given to you to enable you to live your life how you please. That's not the kind of help and comfort you receive from the Holy Spirit. He's given to you to enable you to continue to follow God and glorify his name, even especially in those times where there's great need for comfort and strength that we don't have. And when we do that, say, why would you do that, God? What's... What, what, what are you doing in that time? Because, listen, your life points out the resistance. When you live for God, it points out the areas that are not of God. So that your life becomes a stage where God puts to shame those ways that are not his. And magnifies, makes large his ways. So that his ways dwarf the ways of the world in contrast So the rest of the world can see, wow, I'm foolish for believing what I believe because I see the comfort and the strength and the power and the glory of God in that person's life as they continue to walk with him in difficulty. You see it? That's that's the personal care 
that comes for the individual sheep. But, but I wanted to point it out to you in Psalm 86 because we all know God comforts, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit's name is the comforter. That's what God does. And we can stand here all day and say, God comforts those who need comfort, and God's a comforting God. And you know what? That's sloppy. What's the context? When is it, what does it mean that he comforts? What are the parameters? What are the ways that he comforts? What does this word say about how he comforts me? And I want to point that out because many of us in the church, folks, I've been across the table or my desk up in my study for years upon years with people who have made a mess of their lives and want help. They want counsel. Help me get out of this, pastor. What's going on? And I can just tell you how many times people end up all twisted, wrapped up sideways in life because they pursued their own ways their plan for their life, and then God mad at God because he wasn't there to sustain them and fell flat on their face. Where's God now? Well, listen, what are you doing now? Well, I'm doing this. Did God call you to do that? Is that glorifying God's name? No, but he should still help me anyway. Is that what the word of God says? No. Listen, God wants you to walk with him, church. He wants for your entire life to be about glorifying his name. And then when you say, Lord, help me to glorify you, help me to live and walk that way, then he's there to bring comfort. Then we know the depths of his compassion and his mercy. He, he enables us. He strengthens us during those times. Be encouraged. If you're walking with God and it's tough, that's exactly the plan. And you can, with full assurance, 100%, just like the sheep always knows that the shepherd has that staff to to comfort and guide and give personal care, God will be there for you as well. Don't be faint. Don't give up. Personal care for the individual sheep. Now, the second way that the staff, the Spirit of God, comes into our life is by drawing sheep together. So he'll use his staff to individually point one sheep out for care. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's special attention. Maybe it's guiding. Um, the staff is a tremendous source of comfort for sheep. Guys, you, you, if you watch sheep videos for any length of time, it's funny. They have them on YouTube, by the way. Several of you have pointed some out to me. They're, they're, they're hilarious. But you'll notice many times as a shepherd interacts with his sheep, he's using either a rod or a staff. And oftentimes, it's the, it's the touch of the staff, it's the, it's the running of the rod across the sheep's back that has a tremendous impact on them. They, they know the shepherd's care by oftentimes the touch of the staff. And um, I was reading that one perfect example is when, when lambs are born, the ewe gives birth, and oftentimes the shepherd will need to help out in that process, just like, you know, cattlemen do when calves are born, and same thing. And so at some point, that, that involves some physical manipulation of the calf. Um, that's all I'm going to go as far as details, because it, it's pretty sick if you watch it. It's gross. <laughs> at least I think it is. But here's, here's, what the, here's what the shepherd knows. If the shepherd touches the lamb when it's being born and gets his dirty, nasty human scent on the lamb, there's a good chance mama will reject that lamb. So the shepherd knows I can't get my scent all over the lamb when it's first being born. Mom has to connect with that scent from her, and so he'll use his staff 
to help give birth, to help manipulate and guide and oftentimes draw baby close to the mom or draw mom close to the baby without putting his hands and interfering. When sheep need to be safe and they're, and they're, they're unstable, he'll use the staff to gather them. Not, not just one individual sheep, but many sheep together. And then they come together, and you can watch it as a shepherd interacts. They come together, and they're close. They touch the staff, and then they're touching one another, and there's a sense of peace. There's, there's safety in numbers. There's comfort in gathering together and being close, not just together, but together next to the shepherd. What a beautiful picture, church. What an awesome picture of God's care for us. He will use his spirit oftentimes to draw us not just close to himself, but together, close together. Now, I'm going to show you two passages. This thing stand. Um, Romans chapter 12. And then we're going to quickly pass through that and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So when you want to study in Scripture about the Holy Spirit gifting all these individual members to be part of a church together, those are two passages that you want to go to. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. Two parallel passages talking about the church body, people coming together to be the church, okay? So we already see that the context of God gathering his sheep together is, hey, listen, listen, here it, all, here it is, the church. That's the place where he does it. Here's where it says that. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 4. We'll look here first. Verse 4 says, For we, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So here's a picture of the church and what it looks like. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see what he's saying so far? He's saying, hey, we all have these many members, uh, part of the church, but the church is made up of individuals, right? The church body. And each individual has different abilities and gifts, right? Do you see that? He gives some examples there, and he says, if that's your gift, then that's, your, that's what you're supposed to be doing among one another. See, having gifts... According to the grace that is given, let us use them. The gifts are designed to be used to one another. You see that? In reference to one another. Now, if you keep reading, verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Watch what happens when we are ministering to one another, serving in our gifts as the church to each other. Watch what happens. Verse 10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another, 
Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Are you getting the picture? There's this whole descriptive list, verses 10 through 17, of of what it looks like when church body is operating in the Spirit using what God has given them to minister to one another. As that happens, do you you see the, the comfort and the strength that we gain, that we draw from that, being kindly affectionate to one another, diligent, fervent, rejoicing, patient, distributing to needs of one another. Do you see the help that we get? Do you see the, do you see it? It's, all that comforting power is found in fellowship and community. In fellowship and community. You know why that's so important, church? Because we live in the day and an age, this consumer mentality that has swept through our culture as Americans, Western civilization type thinking. We're very individual. My life is individually about me and then I choose to to go certain places with my life and give certain pieces of my life. That's how we live. That's Western thought. That's Greek philosophy. But that's not the way the church is supposed to live. The church, this place of fellowship and community, is the place where we're designed to draw strength from, where the Holy Spirit ministers to us encourages us, comforts us. And he does that as we are connected together. Now, here's what I'm saying. The church is not the place that you have the right to choose to interact with when it's convenient for you. I mean, that's what America says, you know. Pick a church that meets your needs and go out and shop them and see which ones has the best music or the best this or the nicest person or the nicest building or whatever it is and then you know go there until until that's no longer comfortable until you find something you don't like and then there's five others down the street you can go check out one of those too and we just sort of just hop and shop and back and forth based on what me my needs that's what that's what the world tells us the church has in some degree bought into that we facilitate that sometimes. Cross Point Community Church, we want to be a different church. We want to be the church where its members, uh, as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. Where in our fellowship, in our community, we draw strength from the Spirit of God working in one another's lives. And you can only do that if the church takes its proper place in your life. If the church forms your identity of where you exist in this world. The church is absolutely central to your Christian life. Absolutely central. You say, you're just promoting that and saying that because you're the pastor of the church. So what? You're darn right I am. But here's where I get it from. And if it's not this church, then it might be another church for you. But wherever it is where God is placing you in a church, find that church and be all in, sold out, 100% committed to what God is doing in that church. And that's when we begin to reap the benefits of the Spirit of God comforting us in one another's lives. Does that make sense, church? 
In other words, you don't get that comfort from a part-time commitment. And by the way, you don't give that kind of comfort from a part-time commitment either. You see it? Now, turn to, say, is this really what he's saying? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll see it from another angle. 1 Corinthians 12. Same exact principle. You there? All right. I love, don't you love that sound? I could just sit here all day and listen to that sound. Amen. Amen. Well, I, now, I know now that you can tell the younger generation from the older, because wherever the older folks are sitting, like me, you hear the pages, but the younger folks you hear, click, 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 tap, 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 right? Whatever you have, if it's God's word, that's good. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit here. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Time out. Time out. Look right here. He's talking about spiritual gifts being given to each person in the church. We don't all have the same one. They're diverse. They're different ones, different places. God's doing something different in all of our lives, right? But he says, but, but it's all the same spirit that gives those. The Holy Spirit, right? That's what we're talking about. The staff is representative of the Holy Spirit of God bringing comfort, gathering together. That's what we're talking about. Now, we keep reading. Verse 7 says, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one so that he can enjoy his life. Did, did I miss that? Well, I caught some of you, didn't I? Somebody, what? What's wrong with that? Did you notice that I misread that? Read it in your own Bible. Look what it says. He said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the enjoyment of your life. It's not what it says, is it? That's, hey, now, now put this in context, okay? What is, what is it, by, by being a little funny with you, what, what is it really pointing out? The Spirit is given to each one, Spirit of God, given to each one of you. Not for the enjoyment of your life, but for the profit of all. You know who the all is there? The church, that's right. The, 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 the place where gift connects with other gifts, where one part of the body connects to other parts of the body. The local church, where we serve together. I'm serving in the Spirit... The Spirit gifted me, and I'm serving in that area. The Spirit gifts Lonnie, and he's serving in that area. And together, our gifts work together for the profit, for the benefit, for the encouragement, for the strength of all the church. You see it? The church is the place where this happens. Um, just skip over to verse 25 real quick, just to, just to nail it home here. Look what it says in verse 25. He goes on. This whole chapter talks about these spiritual gifts and what they look like and, you know, don't think you're better than any other gift and you just do the part that God has gifted you to do, right? That's a whole discussion in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 25. That there should be no schism, you might say disunity, in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Have you ever noticed that? And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, 
all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Did you know that as you follow the Lord and if you seek to glorify his name with your life, did you know it's going to be uncomfortable? You should say yes because I just told you that in the last point. Okay, So I know we're on the same page. Okay, yes, I knew that. Now, that's going to happen. But did you know this? Did you know that when that discomfort comes, when you're stretched beyond what you can do, when you need something to keep going from outside of yourself, did you know that there are times where the Holy Spirit provides that for you, just what you need in your time of need because you're following him to glorify his name through the church? Did you know that? That's, hey, that's why Sunday morning services are sacred to me. That's why, that's why there's so much investment in, in, in me preaching or teaching or in the Sunday school classes or when, whenever we come together. And Sunday's our primary time where we do that. Whenever we come together, it should be more than just a service where you come to get entertained and sit through something and go home and it was good or bad. It should be something where we're interacting together, serving. I should be able to benefit from what the Spirit of God is doing in Vaughn's life. And at some sense, God uses that when he serves to encourage me, to lift me, to give me what I don't have, what I desperately need to keep going. How incredibly precious is this church Can we, just, can we just put our mind with Christ for a minute? Forget what church has been to other people and what the world says. What does Jesus Christ say about the church? He says it's the place where the Spirit of God works and moves and as we serve and connect and fellowship together that we receive, according to this verse, care from one another. Comfort from one another. There's nothing like praying together, church. You know, there may be some time in the near future, hint, hint, where God's going to call us to do some things that are overwhelming. That we just, we don't know how on earth it's going to happen. But nonetheless, God will be leading us and with his staff guiding us. And there will be times where that will be the scariest, most frightening thing in your life and watch what happens when you come with all the realities of the unknown and all the difficulties of oh my goodness how are we going to do this and what's what's all there's no way it's impossible that's hard I don't know what to do and watch when we come together and pray and share about spiritual life with one another watch the comfort and the encouragement and the boldness that that will bring in our lives together. Not, not just from when we're home praying in our quiet time or in our prayer closet or driving back and forth to work, but when we come together and you're hearing my voice cry out to God and what I am sensing God speak to me in prayer time and I'm hearing yours and we're crying out together. There's when sheep come together and their bodies literally pressed together next to the, 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 the drawing staff of the shepherd and they can all feel one another's proximity, there's a tremendous amount of emboldening and comforting that happens. 
And that's what prayer together is as a church, when we pray together. It's like, it's like the sheep rubbing up against the other sheep and saying, oh, everything's okay because we're together and we're right here by the shepherd and nothing's gonna hurt us. He knows what he's doing and we're gonna be okay. That's, that's the benefit of him drawing us sheep together, which the Spirit of God does. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Now, the third aspect of the, we say the staff or the Holy Spirit is guiding sheep. And I mean, that's probably the most evident, the most obvious. The staff is used to guide sheep along. Turn this direction, turn that, that direction. Don't get too far out here. Make this turn, right? Here's how you go in life. And the Holy Spirit is that in our lives. Do you remember? We don't have time to look at all the passages. Write this down maybe for your own personal study. Do you remember what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit to his disciples? John chapter 14. John chapter 15 at the end of the chapter. And then at the beginning of John chapter 16. 14, 15, 16. There are four different places where Jesus talks about, Hey, disciples. I'm going to leave and you're going to be the church. And when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Remember? And, and in some of your versions, the translation of Holy Spirit is even the comforter or the helper. The name, Holy Spirit, parakletes, implies that this power, this help, this comfort that comes, comes alongside of us to help. One who comes alongside to bring compassion, to bring help. You remember what Jesus said? You'll need the helper. Why? He will remind you of the things that I said. Think about that. What does that imply? That implies that after you get going, walking with God and get out there at church, you're going to need you're going to need to be reminded you can't go on. I don't know what to do. I don't know which direction to turn unless I have some presence of God that reminds me what the Word of God says. What did Jesus say? What did he mean? What were his principles? What were his ways? I don't always naturally find those on my own. The Spirit of God reminds us of the ways of God. And that determines where we go, where we move, how fast we go, when we change, gives us guidance. That's, that was the whole purpose of him sending the Holy Spirit to remind us of those things that he says. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 15, if you will. I'm going to take a little bit of a different turn here. I think you guys got that. That's not tough. But let's go a little bit deeper with it. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is guiding us? And how, do I, how is it that sometimes I miss that guidance? Or I miss his compassion in my life? Uh, Matthew chapter 15 gives us this wonderful example of Jesus feeding the multitudes, right? Probably one of the most common, well-known miracles where Jesus feeds thousands that are hungry with just a very small amount of food, right? Verse 32 of Matthew 15 says, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have, now watch this, I have compassion on the multitude. Notice where this starts. It starts with Jesus' compassion. 
His own compassion. I have compassion on the multitudes because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Boy, is there some application there. (laughs) Um, By the way, you want to find Jesus' compassion? Go with him to the place where you have spent everything you have and you are absolutely at his mercy needing what only he can provide. That's where you find the compassion. You see that? Why were they hungry? Because they were seeking for him. Right? Why were they hungry? Because they had, listen, three days. You try walking after a guy all throughout the Middle East in the heat of Israel. You try walking, following him everywhere he goes for three days because you are so desperate to grab onto every single word that he says. He, he brings the truth, and we need that truth. He's giving us something that we've never heard before that we don't know of. It's coming directly from heaven, from God, and I'll go to the ends of the earth to hear what he has to say, and I'll give up everything. I'll sacrifice whatever's needed. When you go to that place to follow God, that's where you find his compassion. I have compassion on you, he says. Or you've gone with me. You keep searching. You didn't give up. Right? And then his disciples said to him, where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? There's no McDonald's. There's no pizza delivery. There's no natural place to go to to get food. That's, that's where they followed him to. And Jesus says in verse 34, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took out the seven loaves and the fish, and he gave thanks and broke them, and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they ate and were filled. They took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Put yourself in the place of the disciple right here. Okay? Now you already know he's Jesus. You're going with him no matter what. He's reaching the multitudes, glorifying his name. Remember Psalm 86? You want to find what God's doing today? That's what he's doing. Want to find out where he's working? He's working to glorify his name. There are people in our community who do not know that he's died on the cross for their sins. What is God doing? He's wanting and working and moving to show them who he is. That's where he's working right now. So we know that. As disciples, we're part of that. We're along with him. Now put yourself in the disciples' shoes. And Jesus turns back and he goes, by the way, disciples, before you start complaining about how hungry you are, look at the multitudes, the thousands. Look at what's happening here. My work. What I'm doing here. Look how hungry they are. Look how needy they are. They don't have anything. You have me. You know me that I'm the Savior. They have nothing. And then as a disciple, you think, okay, well, so, so you're God, feed them, but, you know, there's nothing we have here. We can't do anything. I don't have enough resources. We begin to complain and argue. But God, there's, you know, People don't want to hear about Jesus today. People are too charged up with 
the Republicans and the Democrats fighting for the White House right now. They don't want to hear about Jesus. And There's all kinds of excuses, all kinds of arguments that we could have to just stop right there and just say, but God, that's, that's not going to work. Just feed us. Just, just worry about us here. But I think it's interesting what Jesus does. He said, well, what do you have? Well, we have seven loaves. And he takes the seven loaves. And then, if you'll notice, Jesus does not feed the multitudes. Does he? He distributes the loaves and the fish to who? To the disciples. You go feed the multitudes with what you already have. I'm giving it to you to be used to feed them. As they feed, being part of the ministry of glorifying God's name, it's then and only then that they experience this great compassion of God that flows through them. They see, God's compassion is theoretical until that point when they begin to serve when they begin to distribute, when they begin to give what they have, take their eyes off themselves and be part of the work of God. And when they do, listen, God, what is the point here? He guides. He continues to guide and direct as we give ourselves away to the ministry, to the work of God, to the plans of God, working through the Holy Spirit. Guys, Let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit will never work through you until you first let him work in you. See what Jesus was teaching his disciples? It's not about you. And when you see that, when you become part of my work, then you experience the miracle of my grace, the provision of my compassion. I think some of us don't understand compassion today. We fail to experience God's real compassion. Do you know why? Because we fail to give it. We fail to experience God's wonderful provision because we fail to serve his provision. I'm gonna just, I want to make a quick church application here and then we'll close. What is God doing at Cross Point Community Church right now? A lot. It's, it's just, we don't have time to talk about it, do we? A lot. But w- what is the plan? What is the point? What's, where's God going with all this? To do his will. To glorify his name. To reach the multitudes that don't know him, just like the disciples were part of here. And listen, he's going to call us as a church very soon, very soon, to do what he wants us to do that we can't do on our own. There's not enough money in the bank, God. There's not enough walls that are standing up straight and not leaking water, God. You with me? There's not enough staff. There's not enough volunteers. We don't have what it takes to be able to do what God's going to call us to do. Are you with me? Just, that's the truth. But when we begin to experience his compassion to really continue to reach those people anyway is when we give him everything we do have. 
We don't hoard it up and wait till it all. You know, I mean, the disciples didn't say, wait till we get enough bread and then we'll feed them all. They just started giving what they had. And the more they gave, the more there was. And the more compassion that they displayed, the more compassion was available. You see it? We will never have compassion for the lost people in our community until we start sharing. Don't wait until you feel sorry enough for the lost person to start telling them about who Jesus is and what he's done. Start now. Give them what you have. I've never been trained. I don't know enough. Just start sharing what God has done for you. Just start testifying and witnessing to Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection. That's all you need to know. Just start giving it away, church. And watch how God will expand your compassion for others around you. Open your eyes to the needs and opportunities to share your faith around you. When? When you start giving it away. When you start giving it. By faith. Because listen, you may not have compassion for the multitudes right now. Let's be honest. But the shepherd does. And he knows them by name. And what's he, what's he using? What's he choose to use to reach them? You, the disciples, the church, us. You see, that's part of being guided by the Holy Spirit. We stop following, he stops showing. You respond to the light, he gives more light. You step in obedience, he gives more direction. You give away, and he provides more. You see it? That's the way the Holy Spirit works when he guides in our lives. You see, you can't just sit at home on your recliner with the remote in hand and say, how come God isn't guiding me? You can't just show up every once in a while and never really be involved in the church and say, how come God isn't guiding our church? And I know that's not you. That's not this church. Be encouraged, church. We're on the cusp. We're on the edge. We're on the verge of God reaching the masses and the multitudes. But we cannot sit back and wait for it to happen or we will lose his guidance and his direction. We have to start handing out bread. We have to start feeding. We have to start sharing. We have to start preaching. We have to start loving. We have to start giving compassion, showing mercy. And then God expands. That's the way he works. His staff, his Holy Spirit, provides personal care for each individual sheep. Gathers sheep together and provides strength and resource as we are together as the church. And then finally, he guides us, not only individually, but as a church, as we choose to respond to the Spirit's moving in our own life. And he gives more guidance. Now, we're going to close. Put it all, wrap it up in context. What does it all mean? Oh, by the way, this is what it means. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. Why? Because you are with me. And because you are with me, your rod and your staff, what we just talked about, comfort me. That's what brings the comfort as we face difficulty. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Would you just take some time, church, and bow your heads and close your eyes. Just respond as God is speaking to your heart.
would, would, would you be faithful to respond to the Holy Spirit today? Let's begin here. As you're praying, perhaps, perhaps you have never in your own life trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You say, I, I don't know if I am a sheep or a follower. I don't know if I've ever become part of his fold. The Bible teaches that he offers forgiveness of sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And if you will accept that this morning by faith and receive it, he'll forgive you of all your sins and give you everlasting life. Be one of his sheep. Say, I want to do that. That's what God's leading me to do today. Then pray right here, right now, just like this. Father, I turn from my own self, my own sin, and I place my trust in you, Jesus, who died on the cross and shed your blood for me. And by faith I receive you, your death, burial, and resurrection into my life. Everlasting life. And, and now for all of us to respond as God's speaking to your heart, how about me? Lord, what are you doing in my heart right now? And maybe you'd like to come to the altar. It's okay, we have time. Just spend a few minutes just responding. You'd like to come to the altar and stand or kneel, sit and pray. And just let God have his way for a moment. You come. God, your spirit comforts me. Lord, perhaps I've been in this season of life and I've just only been wanting to be comfortable or get away from any difficulty. And I've been focused on just trying to make life easier. And now I'm hearing you, Lord, and I'm seeing you. You're telling me to keep going after you even when it's uncomfortable and you will give the comfort and I trust you this morning to do that. Or perhaps you're in a place right now where you are desperately needing, aching for God's comfort and guidance. God, here I am. I, I just need you to speak to me. I need you to show me, Holy Spirit. Who in my life can I feed? can I love can I share with Lord help me I just hear it this morning I know it help me to be part of this church help me to know my gifting and what you're doing in my life so I can fit in help me to provide comfort for somebody else in my church my fellow sheep Or maybe your prayer this morning is, God, thank you for the immense comfort and strength that I draw upon from this fellowship, from the community at our church, from one another. Couldn't face it alone. I could never have made it, Lord. You provided these brothers and sisters, my church family. And I just want to thank you for that and praise you. God, you have done so much for us, each one of us in this church. Help us to 
look outside of ourselves and know that there are those who are hurting and lost and hungry who don't have what we have. Lord, we want to step out in faith and give it all away, everything you give us. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you. And we ask for your continued guidance in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.